Well, please remain standing uh, just for a second here for the reading of God's word. Uh, let, me, let me say first, though, many of you know that we as a church, we are committed to raising up the next generation of leaders in all capacities. Uh, and one of those is through our pastoral fellowship program that we partner with young pastors uh, and get an opportunity to, to serve alongside them for two years and then send them out. And so this morning we have our, our newest pastoral fellow. Uh, he's going to open God's word for us. His name is Stephen. Hopefully you've met him already. If you haven't, um, hopefully you'll get a chance. You get to know him a little bit uh, now uh, this morning um, and just a moment. Let me, let me read then our passage that he'll be looking at with us. It's from uh, Exodus uh, chapter 3. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then the Lord said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Nathan. Well, good morning. I said good morning. There, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, as Nathan said, my name is Stephen, and uh, just I've loved, Kaylee and I have just loved uh, being here. We're grateful to, to enter this new season of life uh, and, and delighted to join in what uh, God's doing here at Christ Community in, in Kansas City. Uh, my wife, uh, Kaylee, and I um, have also just been excited just to see our calendar fill up. Um, Lisa Linhart has been kind of or orchestrating a handful of meals for us. So we've, we've begun to meet with uh, a handful of, of small groups or families, and then our, our schedule's kind of filling up. So uh, send Elisa an email. We would love to, to connect with you guys, to, to get to know y'all. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been really fun, and we just uh, are so grateful for the connection that we're beginning to, to form here. Um, we're moving here from Chicago, where actually I met uh, Kaylee. Uh, that's where we met, dated, and married. And actually, one year ago today, uh, was it, we got married. And uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I knew we could make it. Um, <laughs> um, but if you haven't picked up from the y'alls, uh, we're from the south. And uh, Kaylee's from Waynesville, North Carolina. It's up in the mountains. Uh, here's a picture of our a year ago. This is what we were doing. Uh, and uh, it's beautiful. Waynesville is up in the mountains. It's, it's a gorgeous, stunning area. And I'm from Houston, Texas, which looks nothing like that. Uh, it's flat and hot, and the reason why they created air conditioning, uh, it's, it's nothing like that. And so, Kay Kaylee, I'm sorry that uh, whenever we got there to the wedding, but uh, a lot of my, the, the friends that would come, they thought it was like a destination wedding, you know? And so all my, all, they were like, this is amazing, this is awesome. And then all of Kaylee says, you know, another day, that's what we do. Um, but... Uh, it's been, it's been great. Kaylee and I both uh, had jobs before we went to seminary, uh, this last stint there. Kaylee served uh, for two years after graduating from college uh, uh, at a, with a nonprofit organization. She actually taught Bible in the public school 
uh, in South Carolina. Only in the South is that possible. And, uh, and after that, she went to the University of Tennessee. She, she worked there for two years with college students working for a campus organization called Crew. And then she actually worked the last three years part-time in Chicago. And then I served for three years, primarily working with the junior high students, middle schoolers, and their families, and adult volunteers. And uh, we're just delighted to be here. Uh, so, so happy to be here. We, we're looking forward to learning what life looks like married, not full-time students, and in, in the, the working world. She'll be uh, teaching high school, uh, 10th and 11th graders at Kansas City Christian. She also got a master's degree and focused on Old Testament. She'll be teaching Bible and Old Testament and those things there, and then I'll be obviously here. And so uh, we are, again, so grateful for the welcome that we received by the community here, uh, Christ Community. And I would say I, I wasn't expecting the same, I was, I was expecting the same kind of welcome from Nathan, uh, but I don't know that I really have, and, and it's really been seen in these last three weeks of preaching. Do you guys remember, I guess, the optimistic tones that Nathan has had? Uh, it's been a really warm welcome. I mean, at the end of, at the end of, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, at the end of it, it's, it's basically, listen up, everybody's going to die. And uh, we're like, well, thanks. And so Kaylee and I went home, we talked about life insurance and those kinds of things. And, and then the, came back the next week and he was like, listen, church is bad. Uh, probably it's going to hurt you or already has hurt you, so just watch out. And we're like, so we went home, we were like, well, do we really want to do this whole church thing? I mean, we can still call an audible and get out of here. Uh, so we're like, no, we should stay, we'll come back. And so then last week, Nathan's in Exodus, and we basically hear uh, the world's been messed up for a long time, a really long time. Babies are being thrown in, into the rivers. Uh, people are caught in slavery for year after year after year. So welcome to Christ's community. Uh, <laughs> happy you're here. And so uh, two things. Uh, one, I, I'm encouraged that y'all are here because Kaylee, Kaylee and I weren't so sure ourselves. We were, and, uh, and then it makes sense why I'm up here this week because Nathan was really going to some dark places. He, he just needed a breather. Uh, he needed a week off. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm struck by two, two, uh, another thing. Uh, when, when we're in these kinds of places, places that are so difficult and hard, when, when, when you feel like it's, it's doom and gloom and everything's just going, going poorly, I mean, sometimes we can get there for a really long time. You know, you, you pull up your phone, you turn on the news, you watch it on the television, right? It's, it's bad news everywhere, right? I mean, just can't, we can't seem to get away from it. And actually, uh, I, I sometimes wonder, where did all the warm and fuzzy stories go? You know, I want to hear about, you know, kittens being saved by firemen. I want to hear about little girls walking elderly women. I mean, but you don't see that, right? Instead, we, we turn the news on and we hear about bombs going off in streets. It's bad news. It's dark out there. And, and, and when we're in these kinds of places, it's not too long before we, we realize that we need a help. We need a deliverer. We need a hero. Right? And truth be told, truth be told, sometimes I, I want to be the hero. I think that, that I can do it, that I can be the hero of the story. I mean, think about it. You know, we want to be Frodo, not Sam. Right? To, to give another shout out to Nathan. Uh, we want to be Harry, not Ron. We want to be Batman, not Robin. I don't even think he was in the last movie. Uh, we, want to be, we want to be David, not Jonathan, right? And I think that's part of why we get caught up in these stories and, and television, and we, we begin to look at this protagonist, this hero, and we, and we begin to identify with him, and we, we begin to want to experience things like him, right? But, but rarely are our lives ever like Harry Potter or Frodo Baggins or King David. It's only in our fantasy worlds. 
Instead, it looks a little darker. And, and this is where we find ourselves in, in, in the life of Moses. Despite having a miraculous birth, growing up in, in the king's court, and receiving the best education, he tried to accomplish deliverance through his own hands. He thought he knew the way. But he only made things worse, much, much worse. Right? And so he takes off. He runs to the wilderness. And, and that's where he plans to live out the rest of his life in obscurity. And what is in chapter 2 called Many Days is elsewhere identified for 40 years. Moses ends, out, ends up in the desert for 40 years, sitting in a place of total bewilderment. Next year, I'll, I'll turn 30. And so I, I know what it's like to think back 10 years or 20 years, but I have no idea what it's like to, to sit in despair for 40 years. And so I wonder, does Moses have any hope? Yet, hope, hope remains. God hears the cries of his people. He remembers his covenant promises. He sees them. He knows. He knows their pain. He knows their suffering. And it's this knowing, this intimate connection, this intimate knowledge that gives us, gives us a glimmer of hope. And so we can ask our question, a question, what does God do when he remembers and he knows? When the, when the story picks up, we come to Moses. He's, he's an 80-year-old man. He's out in the wilderness. He's, he's shepherding some sheep at the Mount, Mount Horeb, the, the mountain of God. And we read this passage earlier. And so to recount, God, God's at the burning bush. He, he reveals himself to him. He identifies himself and commands Moses to take off his shoes in reverence to him and his holiness. And then we hear this good news. It says this. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt who have, and have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. And I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God has seen, he heard, and he knows. And now God has come down. God has come down. God is no longer invisible. We're not wondering, where is he? We now see him moving, acting, intervening. He's, he's come down. And then look, look, look what's next. God calls to Moses. He says in, in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And with this, God reveals his plans to Moses. He's, he, see, he, he, God's certain of what he's doing. He knows exactly what's coming up. But Moses himself isn't so sure. And, I mean, can, can you blame him? I mean, he, he, he's maybe thinking to himself, I, I know what it's like to walk those halls. I know what it's like to be in the courts of Pharaoh. I've, I've been there before. I've tried that out. And it, it didn't work. It just didn't work. And so he realizes that he's inadequate for this moment. That this is beyond him. There's just, there's just no way. And, and so we see, we see his response in verse 11. Look at this. It says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? You see, Moses knows that this is beyond him. It's beyond his, his influence or power. And he's thinking, I'm not sure, God, that you have the right person here. I'm not sure I'm the guy. And it's, it's from this place where God comes down and we see the purpose in Moses going out to the wilderness. You see, Moses came to grips with his personal inadequacy. 
of helplessness year after year after year. And it's, it's from this place of inadequacy that God simultaneously recognizes and, and affirms and points to Moses' inadequacy and his own adequacy. He says, this is, this is, I love this, instead of answering Moses' question of who am I, instead he says, I will be with you. He's saying, no, you couldn't do this in yourself or of yourself, but I will enable you and I will sustain you throughout the journey. This is good news for Moses. But, but Moses is far from convinced. He's remember, he remembers that the Israelites didn't exactly follow his, his lead last time. Remember when he, he decided to take things in his own hands, when he decided that he, it would be best to kill somebody, that he could, he could bring about deliverance? So he's not so sure. Are the, are the Israelites actually going to follow me? So he, he asked the question, um, who should I say has sent me? He's asking, who are you, God? And, and God reveals to him a really unique name. But, but before we get that, I want to ask another question. Have you, have you ever wondered what the deal is with God identifying with people and their names? Like earlier, God says that, it says that he's the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Seems kind of weird, right? But I, th- I think there's something really important happening here with the use of names. And, and I'm not just saying that because I want to say that, but really it's, it's, it's actually in the, the book of Exodus. You know how we, we, turn, we take our Bibles and we turn to the second book of Exodus, right? If, if you had a, a, your, your VHS, uh, which surely most of you do, um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's the Hebrew Bible, uh, just, just me, and I guess Kaylee, and maybe Nathan. But um, if you had that, and you turned to, to, to the second chapter, the second book, you, you wouldn't read Exodus. And I'm translating for you, you would read their names, or names. So the, the second book of the Pentateuch, the, the five books here, the first, first five books of the Bible, is their names. And, and, and this isn't uncommon for, for names to draw upon the first, first words, the first couple of words. And so I'll give you, like, in the beginning... You guys have a, a guess as to what book that is? It's Genesis, right? You, you guys got you know, that. Or, or Proverbs. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of them. And so here we are in the second book, and it begins their names, and, and it's, it's highlighting this. And so back in, in, uh, in Genesis, because again, this, this is to be seen or understood as, as kind of one big whole. Back in the beginning of Genesis, the front end, in, in Genesis 12, a- Abraham is called by God. And in that moment, God calls him and gives him three promises, primarily of land, offspring, and a relationship. And, and it's, it's this promise that is repeated again and again to, to, to his son, Isaac, and to his son, Jacob, right? And so we see in the book of Genesis, God's, God's hand clearly demonstrating that he's taking these people who are messed up. I mean, they're a really messed up family. I don't know if you guys have read Genesis before. If you've never read it, it's not as like pretty as you think it would be, right? And throughout the process, you're just kind of dumbfounded. Like, how could this family continue to do so many, so many weird and messed up things, right? But throughout the, throughout the process, God's, God's reaffirming and reminding him that he, he has a promise, that he's going to stand by it, and that even though these people can't, he, he is, right? And so you get to the end of Genesis, right, chapter 50, and you have Joseph, who's Jacob's son, and he, he's about to die. And he says these things. Look, 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 look here. It says... Joseph says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to his fathers. I'm sorry, excuse me, to, he swore to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob. And then we, we turn our eyes from that page to the, to the next page. And the, just after that, Moses, J- J- Joseph dies. 
And then we read this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came up, who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. And then it lists out the names and the descendants. And, and the focus uh, moves, next the focus moves from many names down to just a few. When we return here to the burning bush, just a, just a couple chapters later, we read, Then Moses said to, to God, If I come to the people and say to Israel, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what shall I, um, what shall I say is your name? Uh, I, I, and um, that was a paraphrase. I, I butchered that one, but um, excuse me there. You see, in this moment, it's, it's moving from many names down to one name. And then look at this in, in, in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. God doesn't identify himself as the, the God of the earth or the moon or the stars. He Rather, he identifies himself. He says, I am. I was, I am, and I will be. He's saying he's superlatively other. He simply is. And this is what's so wonderful and good in this moment, that, that God isn't so other that he can't be known. No, he, instead he comes down, he reveals himself, and in this moment, God is revealing himself to Moses. He's making himself known in a personal closeness way. And, and I love how Exodus is, has been moving from, from many names down to three names down to one name, the name, I am. Do you see and maybe you've heard the name Yahweh before, or Jehovah, it's the German pronunciation of it. But anytime you see Lord, L-O-R-D, on all caps, that's actually just the Hebrew word, I am. So when you see that, it's just, that's just I am, just a little tip for you. But in this moment, we see God is recalling the promises that he's given to his people and remaining true to his word. Then God lays out the whole plan to Moses. He lays out the entire plan. He says, you're going to go to Egypt, you're going to talk to the Israelites, and, and, and you're going to pull them out. And, and actually... The king of Egypt, he's going to resist you until, until I have compelled him by the hand of the Lord. You see, Moses hears the entire plan of the Lord. He's laid it all out to him, told him, this is where we're going. And most importantly, the Lord says, it is by my hand, by my power, and by my might. He's saying that five times he says, I will, I will, I will. He's the one doing these things. And the Lord says, come along. I will be with you. And it's funny. Sometimes we think that we want to know we want to know the plan, right? Have you all ever had that moment where you think, if, I, if only I knew what, what was going to come, if I only knew where we were going, then I, then I would be okay. Because then I could just kind of rest in it, that knowing that, God, you know, you're in control, you've got these things. And, and sometimes I get that way, thinking that if, if I knew every little detail, I could just be rest assured. And then for those that have, have gone through the harder seasons, the harder times, they, I don't know that they always think I would have been better having known what I would face, what I would walk through. You see, in this moment, Moses, Moses hears everything that's coming. He looks down the path, and he says, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm the guy. I don't know if, I, if I'm up for this. And, and next, in chapter 4, we see he, he, he recognizes that it's in his inadequacy that he's fallen, that he's lost credibility with the, with the Israelites, right? And so he says, how will, they, how will they believe me? How will they know? And see, in this moment, I love it because God is being so patient with Moses, 
right? He's not a drill sergeant saying, this is what you need to do. Go, 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 go. Instead, he, he enters into a conversation. He's, he's talking with him. And he, he allows for, for this, this dialogue, right? And so he gives him these three signs. He says, he says, I will be with you. Go. Isn't that good news? But, but Moses isn't quite ready yet. He's, he's, he, he hesitates, he stutters, and, and he's really just stuck looking, looking at himself. He's looking inward. He sees his own shortcomings. I don't know. How, how could this be? And so look in, in verse 10, he says, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow, to, slow of speech and of tongue. And honestly, I, I can resonate with, with what Moses is, fit, is feeling and saying in this moment. Because truth be told, uh, excited isn't exactly the word that I would uh, use to describe how I feel standing here before you. Uh, I'm not sure what slow, slow speech or tongue is for Moses, but I've got an idea of what that looks like for me. Uh, and then I begin to ask myself what feel like really important questions. Like, what, what would it, who am I? What would I say? Why would they listen to me? And before too long, I begin to, to sound and feel a lot like Moses. Just stuck in fear and afraid. And I must confess, I both laughed and cried about um, that this, the, the fact that this is the text that God would have for me here. Um, I, uh, I turned to Nathan and I mentioned it to him and he just laughed at me. Um, and uh, I, I'll have to, I'll have to laugh too. But honestly, what is, what is it that God's doing? You know, like in this moment, that I, I just know what it feels like just to be stuck, to be overwhelmed, right? And nothing I can do but cry out, Lord, help me. And, and, and then I hear the Lord just tell me, like, see, I have, I have a plan. Do not be afraid. And, th- and then I read further, it says, then it says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And, and I'm certainly not saying that I'm Moses. Um, but I can't experience the amount of turmoil and just heartache and just wrestling with this without at least pointing to the sweet irony that I've experienced these past few weeks. God's been good. Um, but M- Moses suggests another plan. And next he says, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And at this, the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses. And he explains that he will use both Moses and his brother Aaron throughout the process of delivering his people. And I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be lying if I, if I thought that maybe this morning I needed to show up and then turn to Nathan and be like, no, not me. Not, I'm, I'm not up for today. You know, Moses has Aaron, right? So I, I could just like, Nathan, you got this one. Uh, <laughs> he, he told me earlier, he's like, no way. I would just say no. And I absolutely believe him. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, <laughs> thanks. He just said, you're on your own. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm not on my own. Hmm. So, Forget all of that. What, what is the deal with this, this last interaction? You, 
what is, what is it that we take away from, from Moses talking to God? I think there's one thing that we should, we should see. It's that God can't be stopped. God won't be stopped. You see, despite wrestling with his own inadequacy and, and struggling through these things, the Lord has heard the cries of his people. He knows their pain, and he is moving. And he invites Moses to engage, to participate, and to come along. God is responding to his people and moving to them. I think all of this really leads to one, one point. It begs the question, who is the hero of the story? And here's the truth. There's only one hero of this story. There can only be one hero of this story. Only one. It's the Lord. Moses finds himself in a both humbling and terrifying situation, in a place where he looks at all that's ahead of him, and he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's no way he could do this. Only God. Only God could do these things. And, and this is a turning point for, for Israel. Not that Israel had done anything. No. God did something. God intervenes. He responds by coming down, coming to them. And this coming down in, in God's word and his story is seen in its fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. In, in John 1, we hear that he came and dwelt among us. And that's the story of Christ, right? That, that his people would be in a place where they know that I can't do this. That this is beyond me, where, where we've been separated from him, caught in slavery. But he responds lovingly, and he moves towards us. He saves us. Isn't it, isn't it good news that, that the man Moses couldn't halt God's plans or purposes? That God was greater than that? Because this is our story, isn't it? We are all people in need who are crying out to a God who knows us, who has heard us, and responds to us. And he, he responds to us through Christ, Christ on the cross. God is good. We're not here because we're perfect or lovely or good, but we're here because God, God has done something wonderful and good. Jesus says that he's the bread of life, that he will sustain us. He says, I'm the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. That is our God. And, and though we're not in the same situation that Moses is, in Kansas City. We, we know what it's like to be Moses, and, and we look out, and so I wonder, what, what is it in your life that you see? What is it in your life that, that, that you're facing situations, whether they be at work or at school, in your homes? Is it in sickness? What is it in your life that you're facing, that you're wrestling with? And, and who, who or what are you turning to? And I, and I wonder, how does it compare with the, the I am? And I also wonder, do you, do you know him? Like, do, do you really know him in the way that we were talking about this morning? This personal connection, right? This intimate responding to us who hears us. Do you know him? Or, or have you been, been walking with him? Have you been abiding with him? Or have you, have you been kind of tuned out? He's here. He loves you. Uh, 
I've been there before in a, in a place where I thought I could do this all myself. Um, and, and that journey took me to the hospital uh, before I could really figure out that it's, this is beyond me. Um, that's a whole other long story. But, but I, I want to say this. There's, there's nothing wrong with crying out to God and professing that we can't do this. Rather, I think it's from that place that God receives the most honor and glory, where he is seen as who he is, as the one who has delivered us, who the one who is faithful, the one who walks with us throughout anything and all things. And so as we, as we orient ourselves in a posture of humility and, and, and confess and profess that we, this is beyond us, I wonder, do you hear him say that my grace is sufficient? My power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, let us boast in our weakness and God's power, grace, and mercy. And there's one last thing that, that I, I feel like I have to share with you because it's more for my, my, my own formation. I wonder when, when we find ourselves in this, this kind of place where, where we look out and we see there's just no way that this can be done. This is beyond me. And then we cry out to God. And then he responds and he walks with us through that, I wonder if on the other side, we praise him for what he's done. Because sometimes, sometimes I want to think that like, I, I tried really hard, that I, I buckled down and I just got her done, that I nailed that, you know? But the truth is, I, I don't know that God's so interested in sharing his glory. So is, are, are we praising him for what he has done? Are there things in your life that, having been through it, we want to take the pat on the back where he is the one deserving of praise? Because how disorienting would it be that after having gone through all of those things, crying out, asking God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, and then you finish, you're like, oh, I nailed that. Thank you. It's disorienting. Are you, are you giving him the glory he deserves? Because he deserves it. You see, he doesn't look down to, to Moses or to Stephen and say, hey, here's the deal, I really need your help. I could, I could really use a hand here. And you know what, in the end, we'll lift your name high. No. There's only one name that will be lifted high. Just one. And so wherever you find yourself today, whether it is in a place of need, crying out to the God who hears you, or praising him who has enabled and sustained you, let us respond and worship to the I am. Let's praise. Pray. Father, I just thank you uh, for this opportunity, this, this chance to look at your word, Lord, and to, to, to honestly reflect on our place before you, Lord, and, and our great need and dependence on you. And so Lord, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you are faithful when we are not. We thank you that you are, are abounding in love and mercy, Lord, that you, you have provided a way for us to be with you, Lord. And so we worship you in praise and say thank you. In Jesus' name.